Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles or turn them on and go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're in a series uh, called Waymaker. And as we've just sung that song, we sang it last week, we'll sing it the next couple of weeks, reminding us of all the things God is. He's our way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and light in the darkness. So today we're going to look at the miracle worker. And sometimes we, as society, lose sight of God and lose sight of that there is a God who's always at work. Uh, in fact, in 2013, the New Yorker uh, came out with a article, and in that article, it, it began to talk about who God is, and that the the author of the the article would say that there is no really there is no God. There's no such thing as God. There's no reason to be looking for miracles. In fact, here's a couple quotes from that article from Adam Gokey. He says, "We know." That in the billions of years of the universe's existence, there is no evidence of a single miraculous intervention with the laws of nature. Now, uh, let me just preface this. Uh, Goki is, is very much an atheist and doesn't believe that there's a God, okay? He has a view of life that the cosmos as it is, is what it is. There is no life after death. There is nothing. It's what... We experience everything right here on earth, and praise be to God, that's not the truth. Amen? He went on to say this in his article. He says, we need not to imagine there's no heaven. We know there's none, and we will search for angels in vain. Now, there's a lot of people who would agree with his viewpoint. His viewpoint in that the cosmos, the world, is what it is. But here's the truth. He can't give any reason or any explanation as to how the world came into being. He can't explain uh, the universe, who put the stars there. He can't tell you who created humans. Best he can do is say we just existed. The problem with that is there is more history out there than science. He falls in the, the idea of science has to prove it all. Here's the thing. You and I know there's a God who's much greater than science. And several years ago in my former church, there was, a, there was a lady I was reminded of this week. Her family sent us a, a note. I, I'm telling you, I, this, this lady lives with God because she's been on death's door a number of times and recovered miraculously. Her brother-in-law came to the hospital. It was a, one of those moments I was there most of the night thinking the end is near. And as they took her out of the room for, for another test, daughter and husband had left to, to just kind of take a deep breath. Her brother-in-law, who is a teaching doctor at the University of Andy, said, Pastor, here's the thing. You know this, 
And I realize this as a doctor. The human body is a complex body. And while science can't explain everything, he says, I'm confident there is a God who has created all things and is only the one who can heal her at this moment. He says, as a doctor who teaches students, I have stood there and told them, there are days you can't explain it. It is only by the hand of God. And you and I know that. And so this morning, I want us to look at John chapter 20. We're going to look at the miracle worker. And here's what we're going to do. I, I, you may have already read the text and you'll go, okay, I'm really not sure where he's going to go with that. And if that's you, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. Because I want to unpack and I want us to understand how God is a miracle worker and how he has worked. So let's stand as we honor the reading of God's words. We're going to pick it up in verse 26 just so we get a little context. Beginning in verse 26. A week later, this is after Jesus has gone to the cross and his resurrection. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the door, doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless. But believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Verse 30 Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You may be seated. This morning, I'm going to only focus really on verse 31 here. But these things are written so that you may, that you may believe in his name. We'll go back one slide for me. I got you out of whack there. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's going to be our verse today to look at. Here's a big idea. Big idea is simply this. Faith in Jesus' miracles should lead us to faith in his word, followed by a personal faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Catch that. Faith in Jesus' miracles should lead us to faith in his word, followed by personal faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. It's a, it's a step process. You understand his miracles. You begin to have faith in his word. You come to salvation. And so here's for verse 31. Verse 31 again. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, stay here for just a second. In, in verse 30, there are some of you in the room, when you read verse 30, you just freak out. And I'm not going to point out anybody's names. You can point to them if you'd like, and, and that'll be okay. But in verse 30, it said, to us, it said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. Now, some of you go, what other signs did he perform? What did he do? Did he raise somebody else from the dead? 
Well, who did he help? What healing was there? Why doesn't John tell us these things? And the thing is, John doesn't have time to tell us everything that Jesus did. In fact, there is a purpose behind John's gospel. And you find it right here in verse 31. And it's the purpose for you and I today to realize he is the miracle worker. That purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, there was a lot more that John could have said. But from the beginning of his gospel to the end of his gospel, he's had one, one purpose. That you believe in the Messiah. And so what I want to do is take you on a journey, the first 12 chapters of, of the Gospel of John. And I want you to quickly see the way that John puts this out so that you can believe. And I want to ask you, do you believe? And if you believe, what is it that you're doing because of faith in Christ? Because John has been very clear giving us a message of why we should believe. So, so the first, first chapter of the book of John starts out with a man by the name of John the Baptist. After we have an introduction, we, we find John the Baptist. And you remember John the Baptist is out baptizing people. And he is baptizing all the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming. They're asking him all sorts of questions. Who are you? Why? Who gives you this authority? Are you Elijah? Are you the Christ? Are you the one who comes? John the Baptist says these words in first chapter. He says, the next day, next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The man he's been, uh, who he's been telling about, the, the one he's been proclaiming, all of a sudden, when the Sadducees and Pharisees have been asking those questions, the very next day, as he's still baptizing people, here comes Jesus, and he points him out. Right here is the one, the Lamb of God. And he takes away the sins of the world. Now, here's the thing. We know John is the one who comes proclaiming about Christ. And here's all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And from, from that moment, when Jesus comes, people see him and begin to follow him. Still in chapter 1, as people follow him, there is a guy by the name of Andrew who comes and follows. Andrew comes and he's a follower, begins listening to what Jesus is saying, recognizing he's the Lamb of God. And as Andrew listens, he begins to understand this is the Messiah. This is Messiah. And I've told you before, and I'll say it every time I teach this text. We named our son Andrew, called Drew, off of this text with the prayer that he would do the very thing that Andrew does in this text. He goes and finds Peter. And look at what he tells Peter. He says, he found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Andrew, after hearing what, what John the Baptist was saying and says, points it out, here is the one coming who will take the sins of the world. Andrew follows. When Andrew recognizes, he goes gets his brother Peter and he says, we have found the one. Have you found the one? Well, then 
well, let me back up. Have you found the one? Have you found the Christ? Do you know Christ? If you haven't, you hang on. I'm going to get you there today. But I hope you know the Christ. The second question that I'm going to ask you later today is, who are you going to tell? Andrew goes tells Peter. Same chapter. We've not even got out of chapter 1. Trust me, I, I know the time. We'll get to 12 chapters here in a minute. We find Philip. Philip is one who hears the message. And Philip has to go tell Nathaniel. Nathaniel has to say, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? Is there anything good? Listen, he says this. We, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and did so did and so did the prophets Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth and I love I love Nathaniel's response can anything good come from Nazareth I mean that's like and I won't say it but there's some towns around this community that there's like anything good come from there and when Nathaniel sees Jesus Jesus looks at him and says I saw you under the tree what? Well, wait a second. And he begins revealing himself. And Nathaniel believes. Chapter 2, we get to the wedding at Canaan. In chapter 2, there's this wedding that's going on. This is the first miracle we find. Up until now, the whole first chapter are people who just believe. They've not seen him do anything miraculous. They've just heard the words and recognized God had appointed him as the Messiah. Chapter 2, we have this wedding in Canaan. I love the wedding they gathered, and, the, and in those days, alcohol was in your, your wedding, and they, they, would, they would have all these toasts throughout the night, and alcohol would be a part of the, the, the ceremony for a long period of time, and the, the family ran out of alcohol. Jesus' mother came to him and said, Son, it's time. No, mother, it's not. Yes, we've run out of alcohol. I need you to do something. And Jesus goes back, turns the water into wine. And the guests of the party went, wait a second. By this time of the night, we can kind of get the, the terrible wine, but you've saved the best till now. And those people who who knew what was going on behind the scenes, stood there in unbelief. How in the world? I'd love to think about how that conversation went. Didn't you fill these things up with water? Yeah. Well, how's it wine? Don't ask me. He came in and did what he did, and now they're wine. First miracle. We Baptists sometimes struggle with that miracle. It was the first miracle. Then we have the Samaritan woman. Uh, the Samaritan woman is a, a great story. She's a woman that nobody wants to be around. She's a wild woman, a loose woman, a woman who enjoys the pleasures of men. She's a woman that nobody wants to be around because of her reputation. She comes to, to the well at a, at a time when nobody else will come. Because the truth of the matter is, she doesn't have to have the looks. She doesn't have to hear what they have to say about her. She comes to the well. And any good religious person would avoid her. 
but Jesus has a conversation with her. Religious people would ignore her. Jesus goes to her and begins to have a conversation. And after she's done, listen to what it says here in verse 29 of chapter 4. She runs down. She, I love the text. I don't want to have them to go through the whole text. But she drops her bucket and she runs to town. To all those people who would talk bad about her. And she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? And the whole town comes and they hear. And look what happens in verse 42. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard it ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. We believe because of the Savior of the world. We've heard him. We've witnessed him. He changed this woman's life, a life that nobody would have thought could have ever been changed. A miracle worker. He brought her out of the pits of hell and called her child. We then see the official son you remember the official son? The official son is one who, the official comes and says, Sir, my, my son is, is deathly ill. Would you come? Jesus is unable to get there. He's, a, he's, he's stopped and has several things happen. We could even talk about the woman who's been bleeding for a number of years here. But the official, official gets word that his son is alive. Jesus never got there. All he had to do was say the word. And he did. Verse 53 of John chapter 4 says, The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole family. You see, the miracle of God doing and not even be in the presence of the boy. He just speaks the words, and the child is healed. Chapter 9, we, we find a man born blind, and, and Jesus comes to town. In fact, the man doesn't even request to see Jesus because he doesn't know it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who sees him and heals him. And then we get to, to um, Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is in chapter 11. And again, I remind you all the time that Lazarus is something, someone we need to remind ourselves that, that just because we're ailing, just because we're hurting, just because there's problems in our life doesn't mean God's going to come run to us at the moment we call because sometimes he needs us to go through some difficult moments before he responds. And there's no difficult, no more difficult than Lazarus. Lazarus is sick and he dies and he waits three days. That brings us great comfort when we're hurting, I know. But what should bring us great comfort is that when Jesus shows up, there's no funeral. And yet, Lazarus lives. And as Jesus calls Lazarus forth and he comes out of that tomb... And he says, take those grave clothes off of him. We read these words in, verse, in chapter 11. Therefore, many of the Jews who come to Mary and saw what he did, what? Believed in him. Then chapter 12 leads us to Palm Sunday, which is 
what today is. And remember on Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into the, to, to Jerusalem. He doesn't come in riding on a horse and a chariot. He comes in riding a donkey. But the people recognize him coming. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why do they do that? Because they believe. They believe. John has written this gospel for, for a very specific purpose. Is that we would believe in the miracle worker. The one who can turn water into wine. The one who can take a woman's reputation and make her a child of God. The God who can speak and healing takes place. God who can raise a man from the dead. Look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe. All you have to do is read the Gospel of John and see God's hand, the miracle worker that he is. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And catch this. It's not that you just believe, but by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. What does life in his name look like? Well, as we read the Gospels, we understand life in his name means going and proclaiming. That all of us have a duty to, to go proclaim God's holy name. He gives us all the great commission to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To make disciples. He tells us all that we are to love our neighbors. He tells us all to worship him alone. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you believe, then how are you living that belief out? Are you making much of him or making much of yourself? We've, we've challenged you and encouraged you. Next week's Easter, and there's no greater time to invite people to church than Easter because even in our pagan world, there's this idea that oh, it's Easter, we ought to go to church. And we want you to invite somebody to come to church because I can promise you one thing, the gospel will be proclaimed. Because we're going to talk about the promise keeper. The one who says... If you love me. So, how are you doing that? Let me give you, let me give you some steps here so that you know how to live out. And, and, and these steps are for Easter, but you can use them all the time. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them by name before inviting them to church. I want you to think right now who it is you need to invite to church. We gave you a card last week. There's cards again today. You can take it and invite, invite somebody to church. But before you invite somebody to church, would you just pray for them by name? Pray for them. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for, and I've got a couple people in my mind I'm praying for this week to invite to church. Whether they'll come or not, I have no idea. I know where they are spiritually. And I'm praying that just on Easter, they'll, they'll acknowledge. But pray for them by name. Lord Jesus, would you just soften so-and-so's heart that they would 
be receptive to coming to church. Just pray that prayer. Pray God. Listen, if you believe God is a miracle worker, it doesn't matter how many times they've turned you down. Remember, we witnessed a 93-year-old man being baptized not the other day. I mean, we, a young man being baptized the other day. God's a miracle worker. So pray for them by name. Second thing I want you to do, when you ask them to church, be specific. Don't stand there and go, well, you know, like you were in the, the third grade asking the girl out to the school dance, you know? Some of, what, y'all didn't go at the third grade to the school dance? When did y'all go? I mean, jolly. Uh, anyways, don't act like that. Be specific. Hey, I want to invite you to church at Glasgow Baptist Church next Sunday at 1030. Would you be my guest? And, 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 and go on and tell them. Say, listen, I'll meet you in the parking lot. We'll sit together. Listen, it's sometimes uncomfortable, so just realize that. So be specific. Invite them. Tell them you'll meet them someplace. They'll, you'll sit with them. We, we won't pass the snakes next Sunday morning. It will, it will be okay. You just tell them that. And help them feel comfortable. All right? And even invite them to lunch. Well, I got family coming over. That's okay. If they'll come to church, won't you put another plate at the table? Be specific. Third thing. Third thing. Have compassion towards their insecurities about church. Listen. They're going to say, well, I don't have anything to wear. Say, whatever you got, okay. Our preacher wears blue jeans. And I'll go on and tell you, I'll wear them next week for them. So, you can tell them they, they can wear their blue jeans. The preacher will have a pair of blue jeans on. Well, I, I don't own a Bible. That's all right. We have one in the pew that you can have. We even put the words up on the screen so, so you'll look at it that way. Understand their insecurity. They're going to tell you at one point a church hurt them. And it may have been our church. And tell them you're sorry. Because not always the family of God acts like the family of God. If you read your, the Bible, you'll recognize that the family of God sometimes is messed up. Well, let me rephrase that. The family of God is always messed up. Praise be to God that he saves us and redeems us. Have compassion. Understand they may have some real hurts and pains. But keep, keep praying, keep asking. Uh, fourth thing. If all, fail, if all else fails, just ask. Just ask. Listen, sometimes we, we beat around the bush. What are you doing next Sunday? Oh, I think we're probably going to go to the state park and see the, the birds or walk around. Oh. No, go on and ask. That doesn't mean that they're dead set on that. Who knows? God may be working on their heart. You may be the guilt trip they need. Listen, I'll take, we'll take them however they get them, guilt tripped or not. I used to tell girls in our student ministry, if you're dating the boy, high school football team, captain of the football team, you invite them. Tell them, hey, come to church with me. We'll take them however we get them because we want to share Jesus with them. We want them to hear the gospel. The fifth thing, I've already kind of said this, is meet them in the parking lot and walk in together. Listen. If you, some of you grew up here and you don't know this, 
this is a confusing building. <laughs> we've, we've had people come in the ramp door going, I can't find the sanctuary. And, and we go, well, you're on the second floor. They don't know that. They just knew that was the door off the parking lot. Don't make them feel that way. And we, and we listen, we, uh, Nell Morgan's working hard with our greeters, and I appreciate her. We'll have greeters, but, but it's intimidating to walk into this building. We get contractors in this building going, I can't find my way around. And they've been in here 10 times. So, so just meet them in the parking lot. Take that uncomfortable fear off their, their plate and go, I'll meet you in the parking lot. Slip out of Sunday school. Your Sunday school class will celebrate that you've got somebody coming to church. And then they'll feel guilty they didn't ask. I mean, no, that's not what I meant. But make them feel comfortable. Here's the thing. John wrote this gospel that you would believe. And in this room, my guess is many of you believe. So that means the second part of the verse is a verse that we've got to wrestle with is how are we living out that belief? If Jesus Christ is the most important decision you've ever made in your life, then let me ask you, who are you telling? Because we proclaim everything that we love and are passionate about. When our team wins, we celebrate and tell everybody how great our team is. When we have grandchildren, we celebrate. When we have grandchildren, guess Yes, look at my pictures. When we're engaged, we can't help but to put it on Facebook and tell the world. But if Jesus saved your life, and that's the most important thing to you, then let me ask you what you're doing to live that out. This week, no doubt, you've got an opportunity to be on mission. The question is, will we be on mission? And if you're here this morning, you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, as you listen quickly to those first 12 chapters of, of the Gospel of John, Jesus can do just what he did to the woman at the well in your life. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. God's grace is sufficient. God's blood covers all your sins. If you'll just respond to a holy God today. In just a moment, we'll have our hymn of invitation. We call it a hymn of invitation because we want to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your heart. Maybe you don't know what God's doing. You want to have more conversations. Here's what you can do. You can come right here. I'll be glad to talk to you. If you go, well, I don't want to walk in front of everybody, I get that. Slip out and go over here to the side or wait till it's over and still come see us. Because here's the thing. Salvation doesn't happen on one hour on Sunday. The invitation isn't just here. The invitation doesn't happen just because you walk an aisle. The invitation is anytime you want to respond. So would you respond today? For those of you who've already respond, responded and believe, maybe during this invitation, maybe you need to be asking God, how do I live this out? Who do I go tell? Who do I invite? What do you have for me to do, Lord? Would you stand with me?